Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We will have with us today well-known Catholic media talk show host, Teresa Tamio, who will talk about her new book, Conquering Coronavirus, available through Sophia Institute Press in both paperback and ebook. But first, since we are still within the pandemic, we want to update you on important medical news from the pandemic. And if you've been hiding out in a cave for the last six weeks, welcome to the club. So have we. But I wonder if it was in pandemics like these while sheltering in place that many of those ancient cave drawings were made. But enough speculation. We have with us today Dr. Paul Carson, MD, consultant to the North Dakota Department of Public Health, who teaches at a Master's of Public Health program in North Dakota State University there, you know. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you for having me again, Tom and Andrew. <laughs> you know, one, one of the topics... Great accent there. Great, great uh, don't, accent. Don't, for... don't you know there, Paul? Yeah, sure. You bet. Excellent. Yeah. I was going to say, Tom, I think you've been talking to my kids with the cave drawings. Have you given them that idea? <laughs> Are they doing it on the walls of your home? <laughs> they, they ha it has had a bit of an uptick lately, so it must be the pandemic. I don't know. Imagine that. Maybe we're on to something. So anyway, something we wanted to cover with Paul during this first segment of the show is something that's been in the news a lot lately, and that's herd immunity. Paul, what is herd immunity? Yeah, herd immunity, really important concept because ultimately it's the only way we get out of this uh, epidemic. <clears throat> and herd immunity is a bit of a colloquial term for what we more appropriately uh, call what is population level immunity. Um, and what that means is that we, we can um, see that if you have enough people in a population who are immune to a particular pathogen uh, that is contagious and transmissible, once you hit a certain threshold, we call it herd immunity threshold, that pathogen can no longer transmit. You do not have enough susceptible people uh, available for the uh, pathogen to spread. And that number, that level, or what that percentage is, or that threshold is, is totally dependent on how contagious the pathogen is. So for example, uh, when you have really contagious uh, organisms like um, the measles virus, where you'll see anywhere from 14 to 18 new infections from any given case, we need to have uh, almost 95% of the population immune. Which um, is why we've seen the first outbreaks for people that don't get vaccines in measles in this country, right? That's correct. Because it's yeah, about you, the easiest disease to catch right now. It, that's born. exactly right. So when you see vaccination rates fall, measles is often the first one that starts to rear its head because it's so contagious. Um, it, for people who like to math out on this sort of thing, it's actually a pretty <laughs> simple uh, little formula. It's one minus one over R naught. So R naught is the reproductive number. That's the number of cases that will typically come from an infected index case. So we've talked about this, I think, a little bit before on, on the shows. The R naught for uh, SARS coronavirus uh, 2 or COVID-19, uh, the reproductive number for that is thought to be around 2.5 to 3.0, meaning we will have two and a half cases typically generated for every single case. So if you do that one minus one over R naught, that comes out to be a 60% herd immunity threshold if, uh, if the R naught is two and a half, or about 70% if the R naught is three. So we say somewhere between 60 to 70% of the population needs to be immune to stop the spread of SARS coronavirus. And how do we get that many people immune? Well, uh, we get there in one of two ways. We get there uh, either by the infection spreading through the population uh, to where ultimately 60 to 70% of the people become infected and hopefully develop protective antibodies and are immune, which is still an unknown. We don't, we don't know that those antibodies last and will continue to protect us. Um, or we get there through vaccination or a combination of the two. So vaccination uh, um, can get us to 60% or 70% of the population being immune. So, Paul, a lot of people are pointing to Sweden. They're doing it right. They're getting to herd immunity faster. Are they? Is Sweden a good example for what we should follow? Uh, I think Sweden is a terrible example of uh, what uh, we should consider or follow. Um, and, 
and this is, I'm glad you asked the question. I think it's definitely worth considering because a lot of people are talking about, look, not only should we maybe follow the Sweden model, but let's think about doing this where we um, try and let herd immunity occur in the sort of healthy and we'll sequester or shelter away the more vulnerable. COVID parties, like chicken pox parties. So maybe <laughs> that's the extreme, but yeah, COVID parties amongst the healthy. Um, and we then, are not you know, recommending that on Dr. Doctor. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and then, and then, you know, keeping sequestered away the folks in the nursing homes and, and the vulnerable and the elderly. The problem with that is, is uh, look what's, let's look what's happened. So first of all, you can just take a look at Sweden's numbers. Uh, they're letting this happen and they're not anywhere close to herd immunity yet. They, they've only had a small percentage of their population infected, but they, are in the top five countries in Europe for uh, deaths per capita or deaths per million population. Um, so they are on the leaderboard uh, for numbers of deaths. So uh, to get to sort of let it go and get us to natural uh, um, herd immunity means we'll take the consequences of all the bad things that come from letting that infection run its course through the population. And that's going to be a lot of people dying of that. Um, take a look at New York. Uh, so we we saw on television, you know, the terrible um, the terrible problems that happened with uh, um, New York, where uh, huge numbers of deaths. It leads the the world in numbers of deaths, and um, uh, and that's only twenty percent of the population has been infected there. It overwhelmed hospitals. It overwhelmed their healthcare system. They literally had semi-tractor trailers parked outside the hospitals with refrigeration for temporary morgues to stack up the bodies that they could not keep up with. Um, and that's 20%. So we got to triple that in New York City to get to at least triple that to, to get to uh, where there might be herd immunity. Uh, I, I just think that's an unacceptable toll to pay. And I think you had mentioned in one of our other communications that the Sweden plan is not so much a plan, but the absence of doing anything. Right, right. You know? It's just like, well, we're going to let this go. Um, you know, I've been kind of watching them. I know that they've they've got something in the neighborhood of about 75% of their nursing homes now have outbreaks in them. And most of those deaths are occurring in their nursing homes. Wow, man, that's incredible. So they, I guess the, the question would be, they might get to herd immunity quicker, but at what cost, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. It's not a humane cost. And then that what goes along with this is the need for a vaccine. And yet there have been people who think that, you know, Tony Fauci, head of um, National Institute of uh, Infectious Disease, is uh, has some nefarious reasons for pushing for a vaccine. Why is pushing for a vaccine exactly the right thing to do, Paul? Uh, we we. This does not end until 60 to 70 percent of us have immunity uh, or some blockbuster drug comes along. And even the new drug remdesivir that we may get to talk about yet, uh, if, if there's time, it looks looks helpful, but not a blockbuster. This isn't going to like save uh, save the day. Um, and so the only way we get out of this is through herd immunity. And as we've just talked about, it's just really too terrible a toll to contemplate um, and and if you do the math on this for the U.S. with what we currently understand the infection fatality rate to be, uh, um, to get to 60 to 70% of us uh, immune uh, with somewhere around a 0.5% infection fatality rate, which is what we think is the best estimate now, that's about a million or more deaths in, in the United States. And I just think most of wow. us think that's un so that's what we're really comparing all these models like the University of Washington model right now today predicting 137,000 deaths through August 4th. So right. if we take a million or so, and if the infection fatality rate is 0.66, which is another estimate, then we're mm -hmm. up to like 1.3 million potential yeah. deaths. That's right. what we are saving with all these efforts that we're doing. And I think right. it helps people have a number. Yeah. And so the, the other kind of aspect of that is, you know, what measures will we take to try and stave that off or push, kick the can down the road to hopefully give enough time to see a vaccine come to fruition and, and, uh, right. and get that out. Do, well, do, do we ahead. think, I guess, looking at, at those numbers, and I guess probably a lot of it will be seen over the next month as, as some of the states are starting to open up, 
do we think we can slow it down enough to get to the point of a vaccine or, or is it going to be kind of too fast for us regardless? Yeah. Um, no, I think we can't, I think we did. I, I think we did slow, slow it down. Uh, and, um, and we've certainly seen the other countries ahead of us uh, that, that have done that. E- even the hard hit ones like Italy are very much on the downhill slope, well on the downhill slope now. We've just kind of flattened the curve. And in fact, if you pluck New York out of the picture, it's still kind of creeping up uh, in, in the U.S. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit nervous about all the opening up. We, we've got lots of issues about what what all the shelter in place and social isolation is you know the negative things that have come with that and that is very real i mean that that is very true and we're we're facing a wrecked economy that has its own consequences we're between the proverbial rock and the hard place but i think um i think that we the the measures we have taken and hopefully with you know improved testing contact tracing isolation and quarantine of the sick without having to shut everything down we can hopefully keep a lid on major, uh, you know, clusters of outbreaks, kick that can down the road long enough to where we see a vaccine come around. Now, Dr. Fauci said that, you know, the couple of lead candidates might be as available as early as September or January. That would be wonderful. I, you know, I'm not banking on that, but that would be really oh, Which is great. actually a plea. On this episode, I want to make a plea. If you know somebody who um, is friendly to pro-life people like us and knows about vaccines, is a vaccine developer, we want them on our show. And now before we go to the break, we have our medical trivia question of the day. In the last two months, we on Dr. Doctor have recorded nearly 40 episodes dealing with this pandemic with guests from all over the country and even Hong Kong. Among those episodes, which of the following five individuals was the most common guest on our show? Was it Eustace Fernandez, our critical care pulmonologist? Was it Mark Strand, epidemiologist? Paul Cieslak, infectious disease and public health doctor? Was it Paul Carson, infectious disease and public health doctor? Or... Kathleen Birchelman, pediatrician, hospitalist, and telemedicine guru. You're going to have to wait till the end of the show for the answer. We'll be right back with more on Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And welcome. We have our special guest today, Teresa Tamio, with us here on Dr. Doctor. Teresa is well known to our audience, I'm sure. She's a best selling author syndicated Catholic talk show host and speaker with more than 30 years of experience in print and broadcast media. She has a weekday radio program, Catholic Connection, co-produced with Ave Maria and EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network, and she's heard daily on over 500 stations worldwide, as well as Sirius XM. She has a TV show, The Catholic View for Women, seen twice weekly on EWTN. She's a columnist and a special correspondent with a number of different places I will not list, but you can find her on the internet. She's best known for best-selling books, and today we are particularly talking about her latest book, which is... Conquering Coronavirus, How Faith Can Put Your Fears to Rest. Yes, Conquering Coronavirus. Teresa, welcome to Dr. Doctor, which seems like role reversal today, Teresa. Here are two doctors pretending to be media personalities interviewing you, a true media personality, about something medical. How does that make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) I think it feels feels good. I think it's nice to have that role reversal once in a while because now I can better identify with my guests on my radio show when I do things like this. Oh, very good. So, Teresa, we've talked offline. Uh, The pandemic's not easy for anybody. What's the hardest part for you? I think the hardest part is to hear from people who are very frustrated and very downhearted. I have been chatting back and forth with one particular listener, a faithful woman. She's very upset because the Holy Land pilgrimage that she's taking, was taking in September, was canceled. And she's making statements about fear, 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 fear. Uh, and so I'm trying to to walk a, a lot of people through this right now. And one of my suggestions is if you're going to listen to the media, to listen to us, to listen to programs like this, to listen to Catholic Connection, because we're coming at this from, from not only we try to be very, very accurate, but we also are coming at this from a big picture in terms of looking at this through through the eyes of the Lord and the church. And the church has so many beautiful teachings on medicine, on science, on the dignity of the human person. It really can give you a full picture. So that's what just makes me sad. People are, are they're getting to the breaking point, especially in the states like mine that are still shut down. For example, we're shut down until the end of May. So people are frustrated and they're confused. And, and it's frustrating for me as a journalist because the information is, is very confusing for the average person. 
uh, and especially even those trying to figure this out and, and, and cover it on a regular basis. Teresa, what's been the best part of the pandemic for you? The best part of the pandemic has been seeing how God is working through all this because he is with us. And I had some very powerful experiences as I share in the book, Conquering Coronavirus. When my mom passed away on March 19th, she did not pass away from COVID, but the experience of not being able to give her a funeral liturgy, as I did for my dad 10 years ago, the experience of not having a proper wake. We had maybe eight of us there versus the literally hundreds of people that showed up for my dad's wake. Uh, but the Lord was still there. He showed himself in very big ways. And the beautiful stories of so many people, that the medical personnel, such as yourselves on the front lines, many of them sacrificing and putting themselves in harm's way repeatedly, the stories of the priests who are going above and beyond, and the everyday people who are making sure those who are in need, especially the isolated, are not alone. It was hard for me to narrow down different stories because there were so many of them. So I had to kind of pick and choose what my favorite stories were. But there's not enough books to write in the world that could contain all the stories of the beautiful missionary work that people are doing, even if they don't realize they're doing missionary work. I mean, people are just doing what they need to do because of the love for their fellow man. So that's been the best part about it. And we're shining, I think, especially here in the United States. And Teresa, you know, one of the things that we've always tried to do, we've recorded a few episodes now on this coronavirus. And going back to the etymology, it talks about uh, a halo, right? And so we're looking for the halo of light. You had mentioned kind of the best part. You know, what? tell us a little bit about how the book also, you had mentioned offline, brings hope, I think, a, a lot of stories of hope and things that can kind of combat those fear worries that a lot of us have. Well, I, I think the chapter, again, on my mom's passing is, is really important for people because people are experiencing a lot of death right now, whether it be from COVID or let's say if they have someone in their family, they lose, whether even if it's not related. It, churches are starting to open up right now, but for weeks and weeks, we couldn't give people you know, the proper Catholic send-off, so to speak. But the hope is, is that God understands, first of all, our circumstances. And this is what I was talking about on the air on my program recently that he's with us. He knows that, that, that we are limited in our capacity to practice our faith the way we normally do. And so he's showing up in bigger ways through the priests, through the people who are making a difference. So the stories that are in there and the scripture verses and the examples of what happens when we look back on our life, which is pretty big for me. I was asked this question by the National Catholic Register, what's getting me through this pandemic? And that is what God has done in my life. He has saved my marriage. He's given me an entirely new ministry and career and platform and using my broadcasting and my journalism skills in a much different way. So trying to help people remember that, okay, we're in a crisis right now. We don't know how long the fallout is going to be. We're hoping this will be over soon. Probably not. I think we'll see some of the fallout for a long time, for a long time and I especially think there's going to be a lot of permanent changes. But at the end of the day, if we remember who God is and what he's done in our life, we should have confidence that he is all around us and there is great hope. So that's what I want people to walk away with. And I want them to walk away with a bigger picture than just right now. We need to look at this from the perspective of how can we strengthen ourselves? How can we strengthen our relationship with God and the church? How can we strengthen our relationship with our family and be a better Catholic Christian? Because we're going to need that for the next crisis, and God willing, it won't be a pandemic. There'll be another quote-unquote pandemic-like crisis possibly in our own personal lives, something that may throw us, you know, um, throw us off greatly as this did. So the idea of the book is, okay, yes, we have this crisis, but there is hope because if you look at the big picture, the church has all of this teaching, and we have a theology on suffering. In Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. So really trying to walk people through that. And it's, it's a very upbeat book. I make fun of myself and my, my um, tug of war with God that I had a few times uh, you know, when the pandemic first broke out. I, I think people will really enjoy it. So, Teresa, one of the quotes you have in the beginning is from Father John Ricardo, where he says, I feel like God is exposing in my own life, in the life of our country, and in our world, many of the idols that we have wrongly and falsely put our trust in. Yeah. What led to you including that quote? Well, because I think even among those of us who are trying to be faithful, we can put other things ahead of what's really important. And a good friend of mine who's a wonderful Catholic father and a husband uh, but by his own admission, someone of a workaholic said that he realized when everything shut down and now he's working from home 
and the kids couldn't go to this event, he couldn't go to that event, he was looking around and realizing that he spent too much time at the office. Not that he was doing anything bad or something that was intrinsically evil, but he was putting the business first versus his family. And he said it was a wake-up call for him, and the time with his children has been incredible. Now, Father John did mention also in that extended um, video that he sent out early on, he also mentioned the fact that there are some other crowns that people may have in their lives, such as, God forbid, an addiction of some sort, and that we have to look at that as well. But, you know, sometimes it's it's not something along the lines of being uh, a, you know, a gambler, being an addict of some sort. It's needing to reprioritize and to really hone who we are as Catholics. And really interesting to me that the word corona means halo or crown and that St. Corona is actually buried. Her remains are in Northern Italy where the pandemic has actually was one of the epicenters and then hit so hard. I think there's all kinds of spiritual messages that we're seeing through all of this. I I really like your, your point about reprioritizing because that's something that we've definitely been doing in the Malali house. We have a calendar on the wall that we write every day's events, you know, the, you got to be here at this time, soccer practice or swim lessons or what have you. And April had Easter and a birthday and that's it. <laughs> and uh, it really, you know, we sat down and said, gee whiz, a lot of this stuff, I mean, all good in and of itself, but maybe reprioritizing things is, is given us an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Teresa, one of the things that we saw in the marketing material uh, for conquering coronavirus was a quote and it said, whether the coronavirus still threatens you or your friends or your family or has harmed someone you loved, these pages will ease your fears, heal your wounds and quench your sorrow and bring you the consolation that God provides to all who seek him in these, these times, really. And the fact that these times are not foreign to our faith. And so I'm, I'm interested to, to learn what you have found about the role of the church in past plagues and other times like this. Well, I think it's really important for us. And what's so great about being Catholic is we have over 2,000 years of, of teaching and history to build upon and to learn from. And one of my favorites is St. Catherine of Siena, who lived through and ministered to people in one of the greatest plagues of our time. And she's one of I have top two top two favorite saints. It's St. Teresa of Avila, whom I was named after, who's also mentioned in the book, as you know, and St. Catherine of Siena. And St. Catherine of Siena just went around and did what she needed to do. Obviously, she was an amazing um, a spiritual woman and just an incredible believer. But she went around and helped people during this plague. And if you look at the fact that she came out of this and the church has, has survived so many other things over the centuries, all sorts of attacks and all sorts of wars and all sorts of Christian persecutions over the centuries, and we are still here. This is not our first rodeo, in other words. And I think sometimes because we have such short memories and we're so involved right now in our immediate circumstances that we don't take the time to pull out and look back. And I think St. Catherine of Siena is one of the best examples of that. And then really just to, to reflect upon what the church says. I have something in there about spiritual communion and, and what a gift that can be to us right now because we're not allowed still in most places, although masses are beginning to to resume in, in a lot of locations, including ours next week. But to really do a better job of embracing the Lord in our heart, to have a deeper understanding of the Eucharist so that when we go back inside the church, we will appreciate the body, blood, soul, divinity even more. And so while I talk about different circumstances, I always help try to help people say, okay, the most positive thing is that you're going to come out of this better and stronger. There's a saying that's been made very popular in Italy, where my heritage is from. It's my favorite place on the planet. And they've been saying, Andrew tutto bene, it's going to be all right. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it is going to be all right because we have Christ and we have the church. How is this pandemic similar or different to the other ones that you studied in the past history of the church? Well, I think um, one of the biggest differences is, is in what's having such an impact is both a blessing and the curse, because I think that the media, for example, I think shows like yours, shows like mine, the streaming of the masses, the different <laughs> Zoom events that have been going on, the great Catholic conferences. There was just one two weeks ago that was put on, and I actually interviewed one of the speakers. They had 65,000 people logging in for that conference. Yeah, I'm doing one on marriage. Dominic and I are doing one on marriage with Damon Owens and his TOB group. I'm doing something for Jason Everett um, and his wife, Christina. 
on discerning vocations and we're talking about my book. I'm doing a health conference on Saturday with Christ Medicus talking about oh, yes. the book. Um, so it is a blessing and a curse. So you didn't have all of the, even though you had bad news, obviously with, with other plagues and problems that faced the church, you didn't have this 24 seven social media, secular media, TV, radio, everything online bombarding people 24 seven. And so in many cases, stories are, not that this isn't an issue, a medical issue, but in many cases, all we're ever hearing are the negatives. We're not ah, hearing yes. um, the positive results because the news media in particular, it, it's still very true that if it leads, it bleeds. So I think one of the biggest differences is the amount of coverage because of the, the number of media outlets, how we're saturated in today's world. Teresa, with that, we're going to take a break after this segment of Dr. Doctor. Be right back with you after the break from the studios of Redeemer Radio. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. We are now back with Teresa Tamio to complete this wonderful interview about her new book, Conquering Coronavirus. And Teresa, you are especially fond of the portion of your book that gives resources to people, uh, not just stories, but something to uh, relieve us of watching about coronavirus on TV, on radio, on the internet, around the clock, which by the way, Dr. Doctor does not recommend doing that. So Teresa, first tell us about some of the spiritual resources that you have in your book. Right. Well, we decided when we were putting this together and the, and the team at Sophia Press was amazing because I, I wrote the content of the book very quickly, about 20, 25,000 words in about three and a half, four days. It was, it was crazy. It just poured out of me. But then we <laughs> sat down and, and speaking with my, my publicist, uh, Gail Coniglio, and then with the team at Sophia and my editor, John, we thought, you know, we really need to do, do an extensive resource section and a devotional section. And what I really thought was important was the way we broke out the resource section because we covered different areas of how people are affected. So that chapter is entitled Conquering Coronavirus Through Your Special Circumstances. We talk about the unemployed, those people who may be out of work or maybe they have a small business that's closing. We look at the, those in the medical field and how they're feeling right now, and those on the front line, law enforcement, dealing with all kinds of crazy situations. We look at a family that may have someone diagnosed with a victim with a COVID victim. So we look at specific circumstances. We have a section for media and government officials who are really under a lot of pressure right now. And so within each of those segments in that resource chapter, there are specific secular sources. For example, if you've lost your job, we literally tell you where to, how to go file unemployment because some people may have never had to do that before. And it can seem a very daunting task to have in to- In a Catholic book. Very yes, good, very practical. Book. Yes, yes. And then we also have uh, information on the Small Business Administration and what they can do to help you if you own a small business. And then I just give some practical tips. I, I just say, look, you have to go file for unemployment. Uh, it's, it's, it can be very humiliating. It's different now. When I had to file, I had to stand in line. I had everybody recognizing me. The night before, I was on the <laughs> evening news. The next day, I was on the unemployment line. Um, that's in, in all of my books. It's a pretty funny story. So I, I encourage people to do what they can to apply for the help they need. But the other thing I tell people who lose their job, and so what each chapter has, or at each segment in this one chapter on uh, your special circumstances, it has guidelines for you. So it walks you through what you can do in that particular circumstance to help you with the links and with the steps that you can take. And I tell people, and a lot of people make this mistake, and I've made it before as well, a lot of people try to jump right back into the job search right after they lose a job. They don't take time to sit back and reflect and just give themselves a break, which you really need. And I'm saying both from a spiritual and a professional perspective, because losing a job is very debilitating. Great advice. Very debilitating. So you need to take time. You need to reflect. So each of those sections are designed. Okay, here's some guidelines. And then also both secular and Catholic resources, people that you can speak with, 
uh, different sites that'll help you walk you through the different steps. We also have medical links in there as well. Uh, the CDC website for the update information on the COVID virus. So it's all kinds of great suggestions. And then that last devotional chapter has beautiful prayers, different people in different stages of their life or, or different areas. And because people have different prayer styles. So we have a lot of suggestions on ways to pray yourself through this. And then hopefully to pick up some better habits along the way. Maybe this will have you doing more of the rosary. Maybe it'll have you doing more scripture study. Whatever can, can help you grow, grow closer to God now, but also in the future. Are you hearing stories of people who are developing better habits through this pandemic? Oh, yes. I'm hearing from a lot of people who are tuning much more closely to Catholic Radio. They used to listen once in a while. Now they're listening every day, not just because they have the time, but because they're hooked. I'm hearing from priests and pastors that they're hearing from people who are watching their online masses, their masses being streamed, that they haven't heard from before in years. So there's, and there's already studies, some of which I have in the book, showing a definite interest, a renewed interest in faith. But we, we have to help people build on that. And that's one of the reasons I was telling you both before we went on the air, that I'm starting a, an in-depth talk series on the book, teaching series on the book. So every parish, Wednesday right? evening... At, yes, at my parish, St. Joan of Arc in the Archdiocese of Detroit, every Wednesday evening, we're just going to take a chapter and dive into it a little bit more deeply. I'll be sharing some other stories that relate to the topic and just helping people really go deeper and then help them through the reflection questions at the end of the chapter. Because I want this to be, and it really is an evergreen book, I think, because even though we're talking about this pandemic, we may look back at it a year from now, and I hope we don't forget it. But again, the next crisis that comes along, the next form of suffering that arises, anybody can pick up this book and receive, I think, a lot of advice and support. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned new habits that people are forming. And I know one of the things that we've, we've really benefited from was the online masses where, you know, we, we homeschool in, in our house and uh, it's not always practical or possible to get to daily mass. But man, when it's streamed into, into your home, that's something that we've been happy to incorporate. And I wouldn't be surprised if we keep that going afterwards because it's so much easier. And then you also get the, the sermon and everything right there in the spiritual communion. So I think there are some silver linings there as long as we can keep them going after the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there's been some recommendations coming out of um, the Vatican and also the USCCB that they hope the, the online masses continue. There's also concern, and I can understand this, that because it's so easy to access that people will think, oh, I don't need to go to mass anymore. This is fine. I can do this you know, when I want. I enjoy having my, you know, my weekends and not having to, to rush the mass. So we're hoping that won't be the case. I'm sure that maybe some people, unfortunately, will have that kind of attitude. But I really think this is a, a very, very beautiful time, as hard it is, as it is on one level. There's an awful lot of good going on, and a lot of it is coming from the church. I, I know one, one of the things that we had talked a little bit about before on the show, and it has a place in my heart, is the, the folks who are suffering from emotional stress and distress. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of these folks in, in our practice, either from losing a job or just the, the stay-at-home orders in themselves. Tell us about what your book can offer the folks who are suffering from mental illness, whether it be anxiety or depression or the like. Yeah, that's, that's such a tough one. Well, we have a number of resources in the book on that. Um, what we do is we suggest that maybe we have some Catholic uh, therapists and Catholic counselors, really, really good websites, and people can contact them, uh, and also some different um, websites that have helpful information. I think it's really important, and I, what I encourage people who are struggling with some sort of already a, uh, maybe a feeling of isolation that is increasing, or if they're already struggling with depression, to make sure that they're getting the help they need and to reach out. And so in that section where I just mentioned the resource section, we have a lot of resources related to that because that's a very, very important thing. And, and my concern, I just interviewed Father Chris Alar, who's written a book about suicide because his grandmother committed suicide. And the suicide hotlines, which we also have a number for in there, they're very, very busy lately. And people are getting very frightened, especially in terms of the future. They don't know what the future can hold. So again, I think it has something for everyone. Obviously, this is not meant to be a cure for someone who is struggling with a particular illness. I think it'll just help people take a deep breath and look at the big picture and realize that God is with us in all of this, this mess. 
and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And if, and if we step back and really start to ask him to show his, himself, he will do that. He did that with me in a couple of pretty amazing ways. Um, and I, that's one of the reasons I felt I had to write the book because there was so much going on, especially with the passing of my mother. Teresa, you share some stories about how the church responded in past pandemics. What are some of your favorite stories? Um, are you talking about uh, past pandemics in terms of earlier history? Or yes, like the Black okay. Plague. You know, what kind of things did people in the church do that you were particularly attracted to? Well, I think one of the things, as I said, I always like to go back to um, St. Catherine of Siena and, and her determination. And that she just kept pushing through. And if you think about it, and you're, you're a medical professional, so imagine what little she had to work with right? Anybody had to work with back then. And yet she kept pushing forward and she kept helping people and she was able to mobilize and motivate people to do the same thing. So that story of her, and I recommend to people, I just recommended in another interview, the book Lay Siege to Heaven, which is all about her uh, life. Yes. It was a great Lewis book. It's one of my favorite books, Louis DeWall. And there's a great description of what it was like for her to go through uh, the town of Siena when this was happening. And I think also, um, always the great saints that have occurred in these different times of our lives and, and the history of the church, there are always those who shine through. And I recommend that people do some studying, maybe on a saint like Catherine of Siena, or maybe on someone like St. Clair of Assisi, who you know fought back um, the enemies who were trying to come in and, and attack the faith, and she held them back with you know, with the monstrance and, and the Eucharist. So those kinds of stories. But Catherine of Siena has to be my favorite. What were some of your favorite stories that you've heard of the church responding in this pandemic? Oh, well, that to me was just, I mean, phenomenal. Even in my own archdiocese, we had a priest that took to the skies and did a blessing, uh, basically an adoration in the air with a small plane and went all over southeastern Michigan. There was another one in the Diocese of Lansing, not too far from me, about an hour north of me, did the same thing. We had another priest here in the Archdiocese of Detroit who had Eucharistic adoration. He put out on social media, I'm going to put Jesus in the monstrance in the main window in the front of the church. He thought he'd have a few cars. It was a rainy, cold night at the end of March, and it went viral, and the picture of the cars in the parking lot were never ending. And then he held up a sign, if you need confession, flash the lights, I'll come over. Ooh. So stories like that, and also the priest in Milan and one of the little towns outside Milan that was m the most affected. He was so lonely when he was saying mass, obviously, because his parishioners couldn't come inside. He asked them to send pictures via his cell phone, oh. selfies. He printed all the pictures up and put them on the pews. I saw a picture. That was, yeah. that was so cool. I like yeah. that. And then there's another story of, of, I forget which town it was in. I'm trying to remember. There's so many stories. I couldn't put them all in the book about a young priest who went around. He was in a small community and he went around on his bike blessing the houses and saying prayers over people as they stood out in the porch and he had, you know, maintained a social distance. He went bike riding around his community. Story after story after story. And I also think the Holy Father, one of the most powerful moments was the Friday before Holy Day, March 27th, when he gave his message to the city and to the world in that dark, rainy St. Peter's Square in the colonnade that was empty. Yes. And he comes out with the monstrance and he's blessing the city and the world. And there's no one except for you could see a few of the media people at the end of St. Peter's, like right at the beginning of the Via della Conciliazione. It's completely empty. And it's, it just was so ominous, but at the same time, it was so powerful that there he was blessing the world and the city with Jesus in the monstrance. And, and I think that was a very powerful moment. I thought the, uh, the message that he gave reminding us of the storm and how Jesus calmed the storm based on the gospel of Mark. And that to me was just phenomenal. And so many people, even people who weren't Catholic, got so much from that talk. You said that your own Archbishop, Alan Vigneron, has mentioned that in this pandemic, we are living in a providential time. Mm -hmm. How is he right about that? You know, he's, he's been amazing. He's been out uh, on the front lines talking about this and doing all kinds of, of letters and statements. And he put out 10 guideposts for us for Lent. And he said, this is the Lent for whatever reason that God wants us to have. And of course, <laughs> this was still during Lent. Yes. And he really, he's such a, a peaceful person. He's very calm. He's, he's yes. very quiet. But it's kind of like E.F. Hutton. When he speaks, everybody listens. <laughs> and he just gave a beautiful, profound message that 
God didn't do this to us, but he allowed it to happen. And so this is the land he wanted us to have this year. What are we going to do with it? It's still about evangelization. It's still about our own purgation. What are we going to do at this time? I'm paraphrasing, but it was a beautiful message to help us just kind of calm down and realize that God is still in control. Man, that is beautiful. Teresa, you know, there's so much that has changed with the pandemic. Uh, out of all the new kind of ways of living that you've seen in the last few months, what what do you hope continues after the pandemic's over? Well, I, I really hope that this interest in faith, and I, I talk a lot in the book, as you recall, uh, comparing it to 9-11 after the terrorist attacks in 2001, we saw a huge jump, a huge spike in church attendance, interest in all things prayer and God. And then a year after the terrorist attacks, the numbers went right back to where they were uh, before 9-11. And so I hope the outreach that we're doing right now continues. I hope the evangelization that I think has been ratcheted up where people are finding God again and they're sharing it. I hope that continues definitely. I hope a lot of these online events continue, but I also hope we get back to that. I don't want to see everything online because we are <laughs> meant for relationship. We are meant for relationship with God and then with each other. We're physical beings. We're not just souls floating around somewhere. And as a speaker, and in particular as an Italian-American, this social distancing <laughs> is really tough for me. I mean, it is just really hard. So I am really hoping that we can get back to having conferences, face-to-face -face conferences. Teresa, in our last 45 seconds, what are the last things you want listeners to know about conquering coronavirus? That this is a book that you can use now and you can use in um, the long run whenever you are struggling with something. There are great scripture verses. There are great resources. It's an evergreen book, even though it ties in with the pandemic. And the biggest thing I want people to know is that you know, God is going to do something in your life with this situation. Be open to him. Say, what do you want to show me? Do the St. Teresa of Avila thing and say, Lord, I am yours. I was made for you. What do you want me to do? Teresa Tamio, it's been a true pleasure having you on Dr. Doctor. We hope that we can continue to cross-fertilize on each other's platforms in the future. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thanks. God bless you guys. Keep up the great work. Teresa. Thanks. And we're back with the answer to the medical trivia question. Yes. So in the 40 special episodes we've had on COVID so far, who is the number one guest? Eustace Fernandez, Mark Strand, Paul Cieslak, Paul Carson, or Kathleen Birchelman? And it would be so unkind of us if it wasn't our second guest for this show besides Teresa Tamio, and that is Paul Carson, infectious disease doctor. I think this is like, I don't know how many times he'd be, this might be the ninth time overall. He was on two before COVID and he has been a huge friend and help. So yes, Paul Carson has been far and away the number one guest and he has been so available. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. As I say, I come at the right price, right? <laughs> so the key topic we want to hit right now is masks because there's a lot of different views on whether we should wear masks in public and especially now as Catholics at mass. So Paul, what is the rationale for the use of cloth masks by the faithful during mass? Short answer is that um, it's reasonable to believe that that does diminish uh, uh, the ejection of potentially infectious droplets. And what we're learning is that, um, that, maybe as high as 90% of people who become infected uh, may be without symptoms. So uh, if we're walking around, in fact, I'll tell you, you know, we just did a mass testing at the, one of the nursing homes where I'm a medical director. 10% of our staff was uh, actively infected with the virus and had no idea and were working, wow. taking care of our nursing home residents. Uh, it was shocking to, to me. Um, and most of them have gone on to continue without any symptoms, you know, sent home for a couple of weeks, uh, but no symptoms. So if that's the case, if, if a large portion of the people are out there um, that may be infected and have no symptoms and are walking around in our grocery stores and in our churches and um, <clears throat> in our social gatherings, um, and, and, you know, they, they can't be plucked out of those groups by virtue of, uh, you know, what we're telling everybody, remove yourself if you're sick. They don't feel sick. So the thought is, is that by us all masking, we may diminish 
that ejection uh, or emission of uh, potentially infectious droplets uh, from the asymptomatic person. It's a, it's a matter of charity to one another. It's I'm doing this for you. So the, the libertarian-minded person who says, well, I don't care if I get infected. I'm not going to wear a mask. It's really not about them, is it? Right. It's not about them. And in fact, I think you could, uh, you know, you could find people who will argue, gee, there's this study and this study and this study that shows masks don't really do that great a job of protecting me. It's, it, you can find stuff on either side of that. But uh, it's true that the, the literature is sort of all over the board on how well they protect me. But it's not unreasonable to uh, think, and there is some evidence that supports the fact that they may diminish the expulsion of these uh, infectious droplets. Kind of goes with the same mindset of, you know, before COVID, if you're going to cough, you cough into your elbow, right? right. You don't exactly. cough all over your neighbor. Exactly. And I, the way that I've been talking to a lot of people about this, uh, especially recently, is that, yeah, it's inconvenient. I'd look at it as a little sacrifice that we're doing for our neighbor. Exactly. Kind of solidarity with one another. And I think it's, it's not that great of a sacrifice. I felt a little weird the first time I put on my yes. mask and went to the grocery store. We're not used to this. You know, we sort of look at people who are wearing masks as kind of like, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah, what's uh, their problem? Yeah. But now it's, uh, it's getting more and more common and it's a little easier for me to do it when I, I go out. And, uh, and I, think it's, I think it's a reasonable, charitable thing we can do for each other. Well, and oh, you oh, and sorry. I even reviewed an article on uh, disaster medicine. And they, in 2013, they took a bunch of different materials and they had people drink and inhale this non-harmful virus. And uh, they found that even a t-shirt blocked 50% of the particles being expelled. And, uh, you know, other materials, even more, a tea towel, I think was around 80%, whatever a tea towel is. I right. Guess some I've wondered that myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, and then there was another study, which our... Uh, modeling expert Bill Goyette thinks was a uh, reasonable assumption assumptions that if you block even only 25% of, you know, what people cough or exhale out that uh, if 75% of people wear masks that you could reduce hospitalizations by 60%. Uh, he thought that study was, you know, had a reasonable result. So a very little effect or on blocking by the cloth mask can have a big effect potentially for sick people. Right. At that whole population level. And, it, and I would say to that too, is like, um, <clears throat> even if that might be not, might be off or not quite right, shouldn't we err on the side of giving that the benefit of the doubt? Uh, let's, let's give that the benefit of the doubt that we might be doing something here. That's not that big of a sacrifice, uh, overall, uh, on the chance that this might be really helping. Man, that's great. You know, Paul, there's a there's a couple things with the masks, too, that I, I think would be worth bringing up. Well, I guess, you know, one of the things that uh, we had been talking about was the hand sanitizer idea. What do you think about hand sanitizer at church? Uh, so I'm all for hand sanitizer, doing it a lot. Uh, um, and uh, I have like a little pocket one that I carry with me when I remember. I, I still find myself forgetting it and, and going to oh, shoot, you know, uh, um, but and I can't seem to find to buy some uh, new ones, but hopefully they're coming <laughs> around, you know, they should be coming around again. But you, you want to use hand sanitizer that has at least 60% alcohol. Um, and that actually has been shown to inactivate the virus yes. quite well. No, this not, particular it, virus. Yes, this, parti this particular virus, correct. Does, does a very good job of inactivating uh, SARS-CoV-2. And so um, uh, I think it's a great idea if you can get your hands on, literally, uh, some, uh, <laughs> you know, one of these pocket ones and kind of keep that with you. And, and so now as we're, st like our state, we've uh, started back with masks again. And I've sort of thought, you know, I, I, I used, it was my, I and my wife, you know, used it right at the beginning of masks. Um, we used it, uh, uh, right before we went up for communion when we kind of took off our masks and then used it again, kind of right after communion. And we used it at the end of mass and, uh, um, and it, it, it kills virus fairly quickly too. So I think that's a great, you know, supplement or augmentation of our measures to try and keep ourselves, uh, safe. And Paul, do we continue these measures really until we get the vaccine? I know some places, in, including our state here in Indiana, where we record, have already kind of released dates that they're going to say uh, masks are optional. Should mm -hmm. that just continue really until 
we we have a vaccine. We know this is on on lockdown. It'd be hard to predict that right now, correct? Right. I I can't think of what the logic would be to say we have a date when we can stop this. Uh, I mean, we we stop this when we we've stopped transmission when when it's not spreading anymore because hopefully we've hit herd immunity through vaccination. And, and Paul, uh, one note: remdesivir shown to be helpful, but not a a wonder drug. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, so there's two studies, one that was in China and they were pretty sick people pretty far along that really didn't show much benefit, uh, there. It was relatively small. There's a, there's a bigger study that is ongoing, uh, in multiple centers and they did what's called an interim analysis where they look to see is, does the drug at least look safe and, um, and are people who are getting it not being harmed. And actually in that interim analysis, they found, that it looked like it was helping. Uh, so uh, people who were getting the drug uh, got out of the hospital on average uh, at 11 days versus those that um, were uh, not getting the drug uh, got out of the hospital at about 15 days. So it shortened the length of stay. So that's, that's good. It's not like, you know, knocking it out of the park great. The, the big thing that they are you know, hoping to see is the mortality, a mortality benefit. And it trended towards that but it did not uh, reach statistical significance yet. So the study's ongoing. Hopefully by the time they've finished it, we might see more information that suggests it might even have a greater benefit, but it remains to be seen. Um, and now it's being shipped out to all the states uh, to, to distribute amongst the hospitals in the states. Paul, thanks for the, that wonderful update on masks and on herd immunity today and a little bit on remdesivir. Thank you to our listeners for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. Please rate and review us so other people find us. And be sure to listen to us next week on Dr. Doctor. Don't miss your next dose. And please also send us questions and tell us something you've heard on Dr. Doctor, how it may have changed your life or something you'd like us to cover. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word doctor to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor.